Type it in, lock it on, and rip the mouse off. TalkZone.com It's time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. (gasps) Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of health care each and every day. That's the fact. Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, you should take the stairs. Yeah, you get a little more exercise. And now there's been a study of that in England. And with signs telling people to take the stairs, it more than doubled their use of going up the stairs and down. We promised part two because there was so much information, we just couldn't fit it all in. A board-certified endocrinologist, Dr. James Rohn, joins us today to talk about part two of the thyroid paradox. Is your low thyroid being overlooked? And how do you get the best care for hypothyroidism? You're invited to join us with our special guest uh, joining us today, Dr. James Rohn, at 1-800-307-3002, right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now, the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Well, with additional research news that uh, stem cells have helped to repair a heart damaged by a heart attack, memory lost thanks to neurodegenerative uh, diseases, and the news that Oregon State University Health and Science Centers has been able to clone uh, monkey uh, cells from which they extract uh, monkey embryos from which they extract stem cells comes uh, the American Medical Association's position. They have voted during a recent two-day meeting to encourage mothers who wish to donate their baby's umbilical cord blood, so, uh, cord blood to do so to public cord blood banks. There exists right now, uh, at this point in time, private cord blood uh, banks where for, it's pretty nominal, uh, uh, parents can donate their baby's cord blood uh, it's available to them should they or any members of their family ever need to uh, use uh, this very valuable cord blood. Um, but um, now they are urging physicians to be prepared to discuss cord blood um, bank options with patients during pregnancy. Right now we have some 50,000 cord blood donations stored in more than 20 public banks across the country. So if you don't know about it, uh, you may want to take the opportunity to educate yourself because cord bloods are a rich source, non-controversial source of stem cells that can be of such great benefit because they may provide alternatives to the faulty bone marrow transplantation as well as have a whole host of other potential regenerative effects, whether it's a damaged heart or a damaged brain or actually being used, at least in some early experiments, uh, to take those cells, coax them, for example, to become a new tooth 
should you lose one? And, of course, it doesn't stop there. Well, I guess it's in honor of what we're going to be discussing today with Dr. James Rohn, endocrinologist and author of The Thyroid Paradox, the revelation in this month's American Journal of Medicine that men treated with amiodarone, which is a drug used to treat atrial fibrillation, often develop thyroid dysfunction that we know there are certain nutrients, iodine and selenium being the primary ones, that are essential for overall thyroid function. And there are certainly uh, other minerals like fluoride that compete for those same positions um, as uh, as the thyroid molecules iodine do, do, uh, indicating that um, we often find uh, for example, uh, poor mental function, poor thyroid function in people um, who live in areas where water is chlorinated and fluoridated. So we'll have to ask our guest, Dr. James Rohn, who wrote The Thyroid Paradox, about thyroid function abnormalities being very common with certain medication therapies. Well, yesterday was World Diabetes Day, thanks to the World Health Organization. Um, very coincidental that it was the day that the Food and Drug Administration was prepared to take up whether or not Avandia would remain on the market. In July, an advisory panel had voted to keep the drug on the market. In fact, uh, it was a 22 to 1 vote. As long as black box warnings were added to the medication, to alert both physician and patient alike, there are some pretty serious consequences to the use of Avandia. So now federal drug officials have decided to allow Avandia to remain on the market, insist that a new warning about its risk of uh, increased risk of heart failure and heart attacks, uh, in fact, uh, the available um, data on the risk of myocardial ischemia, in other words, uh, lack of blood flow, to the heart muscle um, indicates that it's it's rare, but it can occur with the use of Avandia. And, of course, the take-home message to all of this is the fact that now medical experts are saying, hey, just following the blood sugar number is not good enough, that we know that the lifestyle treatment of diabetes is successful up to 93 to 95% of the time. At best, Avandia is effective 47% of the time. So which would you rather choose? Again, there's no one right way here. But Dr. Walter Willett at Harvard uh, elucidated, in fact, he published it in a published research article from Harvard in the New England Journal of Medicine in August of 2003. Just a couple simple lifestyle changes. If you eat grains, make them only whole grains. If uh, you eat fats, eat no bad fat, but do get some good fat each and every day. Try and move your diet to a more plant-based one. Get some regular activity each and every day. Supplement wisely, and you are able to reverse diabetes with an efficacy up to 95%. So... Avandi is going to stay on the market. It will have black box warnings. But many people say it really doesn't go far enough because, um, <laughs> well, I guess Dr. Sidney Wolf says it best. It's mindless. Uh, of course, he directs the health research group at Public Citizen. 
because we put so much emphasis on pushing prescriptions and pushing procedures when lifestyle can make a huge, in fact, in this case, a much more profound difference. Well, it's from New Scientist magazine. The British press is all abuzz that Boston University researchers believe that they can correctly identify the sound of someone in a persistent vegetative state. Their brain is imaging 80% of the time. We now know thanks to some of the new technology, that the brains of people in vegetated states or people who are paralyzed looks the same as brains of people in graduate school. So now they have implanted electrodes in the brain of uh, an individual who has been totally conscious but paralyzed since a car crash eight years ago, totally unable to communicate. They have now been recording pulses in the area of the brain involving speech. They're able to use the signals uh, that he generates to create speech software. So they say whether it's brain injury, drug overdoses, stroke, diseases with damaged nerve cells, which lead individuals unable to communicate, that perhaps with these electrodes in the brain, it is possible to read someone's mind. 80% of the time. That is fascinating because we will forever redefine what it means for someone to be in a persistent vegetative state. We have often angst about whether or not to continue to provide them nutrition when we have some very visible cases that people in persistent vegetative states for years on end all of a sudden came to and they appear to be pretty normal. So with the opportunity to read a person's brain of a man who can no longer speak, the opportunity to delve into the depths of mystery in our brain, which is fascinating. Well, didn't see it anywhere else. The personal journal in today's Wall Street Journal talked about fertility therapies under the microscope. This is a multi-billion dollar segment of medicine in this country. Infertility techniques or assisted reproductive techniques, unfortunately, many of them have not been scrutinized with long-term, double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled studies, and they're pricey. For example, the average cost of an in vitro fertilization is $30,000, It is effective 37% of the time for women under the age of 35. So the question being asked, what is the value of these assisted reproductive techniques for infertile couples? We're going to return to talk with James Rohn, the thyroid paradox. How can you get the best care for your hypothyroidism? We invite you to join us at 800-307-3002 right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Check out Deborah Ray online now with live audio streaming and audio archives of past shows, plus news stories, guest information, and the fast way to find books you've heard mentioned on the show only at HealthyTalkRadio.com. Speaking of books, uh, we have the opportunity to do part two uh, with the author of a very important book because given the fact that we are talking about something bigger than diabetes, nearly 10% of the entire U.S. population does not have optimal functioning thyroid. And women, gee, over the age of 50, it's uh, you know one in five. So, so why? 
and does thyroid testing do a good job with the revelation recently uh, that maybe the normals weren't so so normal? And you know, what are you know? How do you detect, for example, hidden forms of hypothyroidism? What are the best strategies for thyroid replacement? Well, we had so much information, and the information was just so terrific. We did what we ordinarily never do, and that is we got to have him on again. He is a board-certified endocrinologist. You'll find his practice in the Murfreesboro, Tennessee area. He joins us today to talk about the thyroid paradox. It's our type, is our uh, part two view with Dr. James Roan, R-O-N-E, who joins us today. Dr. Roan, hello and welcome. Well, thank you for having me back. Well, we covered a lot of ground, but we really didn't have a chance to to get uh, into uh, treatment and treatment options. And just the other day, um, we uh, talked with somebody who was taking a combination therapy of uh, T3 and T4 and why the numbers belied... <laughs> she was feeling better, so the doctor was in a quandary. Do I follow the numbers or do I listen to the patient? So right. give us an overview of combined T4, T3 therapy as it relates to uh, optimizing low-functioning thyroid place, Dr. Roan. Okay. Well, um, first of all, just uh, to clarify for the audience, uh, T4 is the most abundant product of the thyroid gland. It's the more abundant but less potent form of thyroid hormone. And most T3, which is the less abundant but more potent form of thyroid hormone, and actually is probably should be considered the active form of thyroid hormone in the body, most T3 is converted uh, from T4 in other parts of the body outside the thyroid gland, in skeletal muscle and the brain and kidneys and liver. And one of the big controversies in thyroidology for many, many years uh, has been, you know, do we actually need to give T3 uh, therapy when, when we're treating hypothyroid patients? And it used to be, I mean, decades ago, uh, it used to be uh, universal that we gave uh, combination products because we use the uh, uh, so-called thyroid USP or armor thyroid, which is a... Uh, uh, basically a product of dried uh, pork thyroid glands, and since the uh, uh, those thyroid glands had both T3 and T4 in it, everybody was getting a combination. But starting around the 1970s, uh, there was some research that suggested, you know, what I was just saying earlier, that, that most of the T3 in the body is converted from T4, so it became popular and now is almost universal to only give T4 therapy uh, on the assumption that uh, that T4 that the patient swallows will then be turned into however much T3 the body needs and wants. And so that's what Synthroid and the other common uh, thyroid hormone uh, prescription products that are out there today are. They're, They're pure T4. And many people do just fine with that. I, I take Synthroid, and, and I, I do fine. But it, it doesn't seem to to work that way for some people. They they, conti- they continue to be fatigued and have weight problems and dry skin and all of these things that uh, uh, hypothyroidism can cause, despite 
despite being on decent doses of, of T4-only products. And so um, oftentimes we do try a combination of T4 and T3, and, and sometimes it, it uh, uh, does seem to benefit the patient. Now, as I said, this, this is a, a big area of controversy right now, and there's a lot of interest in it. You know, a lot of the things that I sure. talk about in my book uh, are, are things that it seems to me that a lot of doctors, uh, including endocrinologists, are just either not aware of or, or, or are ignoring for some reason. But this is not an area that's been ignored. Uh, there's been a lot of research, but except for one big study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1999, uh, I say big study, actually that was a fairly small study, but there have been a number of other studies that have been done on T4 and T3 therapy, and it really hasn't proven a benefit except for this one that I mentioned from the New England Journal of Medicine. So so the standard of care is still to not do it, but a lot of endocrinologists, including myself, do try combination therapy, uh, either giving a separate prescription, say, say uh, Synthroid for the T4 and Cytomel for the T3, uh, or there are combination products out there like the, the uh, Armor Thyroid that I mentioned. And, you know, I think, in, and this is my experience and the experience of most endocrinologists, is sometimes in the long run it doesn't make a difference that patients maybe feel better right at the beginning, but in the long run, you know, you know they kind of go right back into the same pattern of, of a chronic fatigue sort of pattern, and maybe right. there's just something else going on. But uh, in the occasional patient, uh, there's no question it makes a difference. So I... I think that it is worth trying, and I think there is a subset of hypothyroid patients out there who have a, a, a problem with this conversion of T4 to T3. There's an, uh, an enzyme called uh, 5-prime deiodinase that's present in every cell in the body, and that uh, does many, uh, it metabolizes thyroid hormone in a number of different ways, different versions of the enzyme, but uh, the main version converts T4 uh, to this active form, T3, and, the, and T3 is what interacts with the thyroid hormone receptor in, in the nucleus of the cells. And, uh, you know, I, I think there probably are some people out there that for one reason or another have defective deiodinase, and the only way to treat them effectively is to give T3. So I think we need to try it, you know, with right. the understanding right. that it's not going to work, you know, for everybody, but it needs to be tried perhaps more than it is sometimes. So for the term that we're now learning from many clinicians, and that is therapeutic trial, um, you know, the patient doesn't particularly, you know, fit the model of, of thyroid dysfunction giving the standard test, but obviously right. their clinical presenting picture suggests it, so uh, they often suggest a therapeutic trial. Is this combined yeah. therapy a good place to start, Dr. Rowan? Uh, well, I, I start with, you know, just in terms of, you know, patient first comes to see me, we diagnose hypothyroidism, whether it's based on labs or whether it's, you know, based on symptoms, you know, with or without lab abnormalities that support the diagnosis. And and I always start with T, T4 only therapy, but uh, after a reasonable trial, and, and sometimes that's a therapeutic trial too. Mm-hmm. Again, if, if somebody's coming in with symptoms but the labs don't confirm the diagnosis, I'll give them a therapeutic trial of T4-only therapy, okay. you know, okay. like Synthroid, for example. And then, you know, if, if we make a few dosage adjustments there and it just doesn't seem to be uh, working for the patient, then I will go ahead and add Cytomel to that. And what I will often 
uh, do is give uh, five micrograms uh, twice a day of the Cytomel, uh, uh, which, which again is a T4, T, T3 only product, and uh, that does need to be typically given more than once a day, whereas the T4 products can be given just once a day uh, because they're they're quite long acting. Uh, Cytomel is a is a is a more short a fast but short acting sure, form of thyroid sure. hormone. So to kind of get 24 hour coverage, you need to give it more than once a day. But yeah, I would definitely consider that as a therapeutic trial in people that more where more standard therapy is not working. Let's delve into the uh, the testing. We returned, Dr. Rome, because um, you know, we've heard about the downsides of the, the the normal classification in terms of thyroid screening, and they tend to thought, oh, TSH levels were the gold standard, but are they? We'll talk about it when we return. Endocrinologist and author Dr. James Rone, R-O-N-E, joins us today. Very important book. Make sure it is on your book's uh, shelf. The Thyroid Paradox. We're talking about how to get the best care for your hypothyroidism at 1-800-307-3002 right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Warning. Healthy Talk Radio presents revolutionary information that could cause facial tics and foaming at the mouth, but it's backed up by documented research and presented by credentialed guests. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors. But hey, it's not like they went to medical school. Endocrinologist, uh, clinician, and author Dr. James Rohn joins us today. His book, The Thyroid Paradox, is your low thyroid being overlooked? How to get the best care for your hypothyroidism, which is all too common in this country. So back to that gold standard, following the TSA number. Tell us the, the pros and cons. Is the TSA really representative? Is it the gold standard in terms of determining um, you know, how well a thyroid gland is functioning or, or not functioning, Dr. Rohn? Well, um, what, what I would say about TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone is that it, it, it probably is the single best test for most people, but the operative term is single. And, you know, I think if, you know, if, if, there's, if there's any one universal truth out there, it's that nothing works perfectly all the time. And I think uh, it, it's too often not recognized that TSH doesn't work perfectly as a test for hypothyroidism in all situations. And what we're assuming when, when we use TSH is that the pituitary gland is working perfectly and again you know no no organ in the body works perfectly all the time what what TSH is is, is a measure of uh, how much uh, or the TSH test is a measure of how much TSH the pituitary is producing and this is the hormone that stimulates the thyroid to make thyroid hormone uh, and typically TSH goes up when thyroid hormone levels are low and vice versa TSH goes down when thyroid levels are high so so it's an indirect measure we're not when we're when we're measuring a TSH level we're not measuring actual thyroid hormone levels in the blood we're measuring the brain's response to how much uh, uh, thyroid is there. And if, if there's basically two types of hypothyroidism, uh, primary hypothyroidism where the problem is in the thyroid gland itself, and in, in that situation where there's nothing wrong with the brain or pituitary, um, 
TSH should go up when thyroid levels are low, and in, in, in that case, uh, a TSH can be a good screening test for hypothyroidism because you'll see a high TSH if, uh, if the thyroid levels are low, and, and when we have people on thyroid hormone replacement, TSH is a good test for monitoring because, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just give enough medication to get the TSH down into the normal range, right. whatever you want to call normal, and we can talk about that, uh, uh, in a moment, but the the problem is that again the pituitary doesn't work normally all the time. There can be any number of problems, whether it's a pituitary tumor or infiltration uh, in in certain inflammatory conditions or so, even stress, perhaps. Uh, certainly, depression and anxiety can uh, cause steroid release, and steroids interfere with with the pituitary working normally. And, and I have a concern that just sort of ordinary life stresses, what I call the soccer mom syndrome, the you know the, the ordinary person running around kind of getting through a hectic day with all kind of things pulling her, uh, him or her in different directions, the cell phone going off all the time and all that, may be producing enough stress and steroid release to reduce TSH uh, production. And so we may have people who are hypothyroid simply because uh, 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 stress is, is interfering with TSH production. And, we, and again, we do know that, uh, you know, as I said, there's two different forms of hypothyroidism, primary and central. Central hypothyroidism is hypothyroidism caused by the pituitary not functioning well, and TSH is not going to be elevated in that subclass of hypothyroidism. And, and that's not recognized uh, often enough and thought about often enough. And I think it's actually more common than we think we think it is because it's mm-hmm. not looked for. And there mm-hmm. may be a lot of people out there who are hypothyroid because they're not making enough TSH. Sure. But when their doctor measures the TSH level, it's within normal range when perhaps it should have been high or maybe it's even low because the pituitary is making such a small amount. And, you know, that that may get re- recognized as an abnormality, but rarely is it going to be thought of that the patient might actually have a low thyroid level along with that low TSH. If anything, they're going to consider it the, the patient has a high thyroid level, which is obviously you know, in this situation is not Sure, sure. It also begs the question because, of course, there is... Literally, there's no tissue in your body that doesn't respond to, to thyroid hormone. Right. You know, how many people with heart disease or depression, and then we could, you know, fill in the blank from here, uh, never have their thy- underlying thyroid function checked or, or diagnosed, Dr. Brown? Well, that, that's certainly one of my concerns. And, uh, you know, doctors and patients are, are pretty well tuned in these days to the thyroid as, mm-hmm. as being a problem and a potential cause of fatigue and, you know, a potential contributor to heart disease, as, as you mentioned. And, you know, I do think doctors uh, do a good job of thinking about it, but, uh, but I think then they go and do a test like a TSH level. And, right. again, very often that's all that gets done. And then they see that that TSH is normal, and then they forget about it and move on. And I, I think that's how how we miss uh, a lot of people. In fact, that's the, the title of my book, The Thyroid Paradox, is, you know, that, that very thing. that It's a paradox that, you know, we know about hypothyroidism, and, and we do think about it, but then we miss it and then move on, and the patient's still hypothyroid and doesn't get treated. 
uh, one of the problems uh, with diagnosis, uh, you know, speaking about the TSH level, is there's a controversy right now about what a normal TSH is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many times I think hypothyroidism gets overlooked because uh, the TSH level is normal, you know, according to the lab report. It's within the normal range, which is typically 0.3 up to about Five, say 5.5, 5. right? Um, and you know, where, where again, high TSHs indicate lower thyroid hormone levels. But I felt for a long time, and actually, the National Academy of Clinical Biochemistry has published guidelines that agree with exactly what I've thought for a long time: that uh, the upper half of the normal range probably does represent mild hypothyroidism. And there's just so many mildly hypothyroid patients out there that when the labs go out and, uh, and measure a bunch of supposedly normal people to determine their normal range, that, that they're actually picking up some mildly hypothyroid patients and, the, uh, and, and so the, upper, the, the normal range gets skewed upward. Sure. And so I, my personal normal range when I take care of my patients is, is, is to consider anything above about two or two and a half to be potentially high. Whereas most doctors will look at a three or a four or a five, and you know, according to the lab, it's normal, and they won't give it another thought. So, I mean, I I know a lot of people who still are not satisfied in terms of, you know, are they are they getting optimal thyroid function uh, mm-hmm. given you know the challenges with diagnosis and the challenges with treatment as well. You're referring to people who are yeah. on therapy, but right? They just right. don't feel it's adequate, or they feel good, and then all of a sudden it doesn't. It stop. It appears to kind of stop working, Doctor Ron. Well, uh, there's a couple of reasons, uh, several reasons for that. First of all, again, TSH is we, we we've talked mostly about its diagnostic uses, but it's also the major test that's used to monitor thyroid hormone replacement. And the standard of care is to simply get the TSH within normal range. And I think that's often not enough. For example, uh, you know, if, if a person is hypothyroid and they're on a certain dose of Synthroid and, and that gets the TSH to 4.5, well, that's normal according to pretty much every lab you know, out there, uh, their doctor might stop at that point. Well, I've just said I think TSHs of 3 and 4 and 5 are uh, really represent uh, or are really a little bit high and represent mild hypothyroidism. And so, you know, if that doctor would then up the Synthroid dose a little more and try to get that TSH down to 1 or maybe at most 2, uh, then I think the patient might feel better. So, so that's part of the problem. I think we've, we, we've got a set of standards of care out there that, that lead to under-treatment of the disease. And so we need to be uh, shooting for a lower half of the, the lower half of the normal range on the TSH and also paying attention to other tests. And, you know, as I said, TSH is the, the best of the single test, but, you know, nothing's perfect, and I think we need to be paying attention certainly to symptoms and, and at least do some of our treatment adjustments based on symptoms. If the patient is still fatigued, then regardless of the numbers, consider going higher. And also look at the free T4 level. If that's in, 
you know, maybe the lower half of the normal range, that's the actual thyroid hormone level in the blood, and the patient's still feeling bad, we'll go ahead and up the dose and try to get that free T4 level into the upper half of the normal range, perhaps regardless of what's happening to the TSH. And, and I have a lot of patients where it seems like in order to get them feeling better, we, we have to push the doses high enough to get the TS, to, to make the TSH low. And, you know, I'm not going to, uh, uh, we don't have time here to go into a lot of detail about that, but, you know, I can tell you that low TSH has set off alarm bells in, in most doctors' heads worried about over-treatment and maybe right. maybe that level is dangerous and it's going to hurt the heart, for example, and right. so they, they typically try to back down when on the dose when they see a low TSH. But what I do when I see a low TSH is I carefully evaluate the patient. I look at the T4 and T3 levels and I and I ask the patient, are you know, are you having heart palpitations or difficulty sleeping, things that might indicate that they really are too high. And if I'm not finding evidence, other evidence that they might be too high, then I'll leave them alone. And I think that, that's uh, a difference in, in how I treat my patients and how uh, most other doctors treat theirs, that, that I'll sometimes, if it seems uh, like it's clinically the right thing to do, I'll, I'll let the TSH run low and yeah, I and, and you know, obviously uh, monitoring them carefully, and when I see them back, I, I make sure I don't think they're being harmed by that. But it does bring up a good point, and, and you address it well in your book, The Thyroid Paradox, Dr. Rohn, that, you know, even though a thyroid replacement is, is um, you know, I guess we can use the word relatively, I mean, it has a great safety record. Everything has risk to benefit to, uh, to right. consider, and what you're telling us, you know, mirrors what we have learned in situation after situation. There is no one right way here. Right. And I, and I think that's a uh, that's a big problem, and I think it's a general problem in healthcare today. Is that we're uh, we're becoming too focused on you know what, what's called evidence-based medicine. You right. know, right. you know, a study gets done, and it, it says that. You know, okay. Here's the evidence that this is the way we should treat something, and and uh, uh, and then and then we get totally focused on that. And I mean, people coming out of medical schools today are, you know, evidence-based medicine is just pounded into them. So I don't I don't think they even know how to think outside that box, and that that really concerns me. But I mean, good medicine is to me. I mean, listening to the patient and thinking about their problem and spending time with that and, you know, yes, know the evidence and understand the evidence and be familiar with it and, you know, and, and try it. And if, if that, you know, if, if the evidence-supported way of doing something uh, works for that patient, great. But if it doesn't work, you know, think outside the box. And, you know, as, as doctors, I mean, we... we we go to school for many, many years and go to residency and fellowship programs to, you know, perfect our, uh, our, our clinical skills. And I, I think those clinical skills are being uh, sort of uh, dissed, uh, to, to use a colloquial term, these days in favor of, you know, statistics. And uh, I, I think we need to get, you know, more back to the human side of medicine and, again, listening to the patients and, and giving doctors more of a free hand to to think about what's going on and take the time. I mean, many doctors are, you know, just seeing 
you know, more minutes. patients than they can handle. Sure. And, you know, there's all kinds of pressures, financial pressures and uh, uh, on them. But uh, I think we've got to get back to where, you know, the average doctor can take more time and, and think about their patients rather than just, you know, checking off boxes. And, you know, it bothers me when I see... Uh, you know, notes on a on a patient that are clearly you know generated by a computer, and I know that that, that doctor isn't giving as much thought to the patient's problem as as they should be. Well, I was thinking about that this morning because I was listening to the to the morning news, and you know, the studies say this, and the experts say this, and this study says this, and I got to thinking about that. And it's like, you know, what if we look back fifty years from now, Doctor Roan? Because you know, testing and research has become an industry in and of itself, and yeah. realize that because medicine, at best, that artful science is being mm-hmm. ill served, people are being ill served. Because as you and I know, I hear it all the time from people in in industry. You know, doctors aren't going to do it unless there's solid science behind it. But what if the science doesn't tell us the whole picture, Dr. Rowe? Right. Yeah, I mean, the evidence is, I mean, even if all the evidence is right, and we know that some studies, you know, are just plain wrong out there. But even if all the evidence is right, we don't have evidence about everything. Hold that thought. We're going to pick it up when we return. Dr. James Rowe joining us today. The thyroid paradox right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Doses of Healthy Talk Radio should be taken just like your supplements, daily. Missing any show could be hazardous to your health. Now to the woman who never forgets to take hers, Deborah Ray. An important source, he is an endocrinologist, a physician, and author, the book of which we're speaking today, The Thyroid Paradox. The author, Dr. James Rohn, R-O-N-E, um, how to get the best care for hypothyroidism. And given the fact that you've been there personally, um, you know, are we beginning to see uh, a sea of change or are we educating more consumers that we need to look outside the box when it comes to the function and the diagnosis and the treatment of uh, optimal thyroid functioning, Dr. Rohn? Well, I think we are, and certain, certainly there's there's a uh, a large patient awareness out there that uh, that hypothyroidism is common and it, and it's often missed. And I, I think you know, in 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 some cases, it, it's unfortunate because patients get driven away from their you know mainstream doctors, uh, you know their internist or family practitioner. Uh, uh, be, because of a, of a certain amount of hard-headedness from those doctors, and I think if they if they had a little bit more of an open mind, uh, you know, about uh, you know considering, you know, for example, thyroid therapy in, in situations where you know they 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 might you know not not consider it absolutely indicated, but I mean it's a pretty safe drug. Like we said, I mean there's risks with everything, but thyroid hormone in most people's pretty is pretty safe if you monitor therapy. So I just I don't see what the harm is in uh, uh, you know in trying it if a patient's pretty convinced that they need it, and uh, you know and again I, I think uh, patients tend to get driven away from their doctors and maybe into the hands of, of Practitioners who aren't as well trained, just because they're 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 better trained practitioners, are, are too hard headed. We'll, we'll we'll let you say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, pe- yeah. where do people find the book? Is it available at, at Amazon and, and major bookstores, Dr. Rohn? Do, uh, do you have is, a website? Uh, uh, it's Amazon.com uh-huh. and uh, Borders and Barnes and & Noble. And, you know, so just check your local bookstore. Um, is there a website for, for your practice, or do you uh, suggest websites for people who uh, really want to you know, know more, some of the latest about thyroid uh, care, Dr. Rohn? Well, certainly the American Thyroid Association website, okay. uh, which is uh, www.thyroid.org, I believe, uh, .org, um, uh, has a, a patient education section that will be useful. Um, my my uh, practice website is uh, www.mmclinic.com. And, uh, very good. Very good. Great information. Thank you for coming back again. Please do so again. Thank you. Our thanks to Dr. James Rohn. The book, The Thyroid Paradox, our thanks to you. If you missed anything, the show archived for two weeks, HealthyTalkRadio.com. I'm Deborah A. reminding you to live long and to stay healthy.